And so the message for today is a character that carries the anointing. And I love this, <clears throat> excuse me, I love this quote by D.L. Moody, and he says this, character is who you are in the dark when no one is looking and no one is listening. Don't you love that? And I've been pondering over the, the last few months, really, about the character of God, just reading in the scripture about his character. And, and uh, there are so many wonderful scriptures that talk about God that he's slow to anger. Our God is so big and so mighty and strong, right? He's slow to anger. He's abounding. Don't you love that? He's abounding in love. He's abounding. He's lavish in love. He's rich in love. He's just, and he's good to all. He's compassionate, and I love the scripture that talks about his tender mercies. Don't you love that phrase? God's tender mercies are new every morning. He's the Lord of peace. The government of peace is upon his shoulders. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He's kind. And when I was doing this study, the penny dropped for me. Now, it may have, studied, it may have dropped for all y'all a long time ago. But for me, this was like a revelation when I uh, read about the character of Christ, the character of Almighty God. It's like, oh, these are the fruits of the Spirit. When you read in Galatians, you know, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. And I thought, oh, the fruit of the Spirit, they're manifestations or expressions of the character of God. Huh. I mean, gosh, I've been a Christian a long time, and I'm finally am getting this. You know, you talk about the fruit of the Spirit, you sing about the fruit of the Spirit, but for me, it felt weightier and amazingly beautiful that the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the self-control, when that's expressed in my life, I'm manifesting the character of my God. I'm expressing him. I'm representing him to the people that I meet every day not just in church, but on the street, in the back of the wheel of my car, you know, in all those places with my kids, with my husband. It's like, oh, the fruit of the Spirit. And isn't it our cry as Christians that we would become like the one that we love, right? That we would behold him and we would become like what we, be, what we behold and to put on that nature of Christ and to grow from glory to glory to glory. Isn't that our goal as Christians? But sometimes in our life, we have fruit that is unbecoming a Christian. We have some character flaws. We have fruit that's inconsistent with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And this can be confusing for us because we can have really, really good fruit in some areas of our life like ministry, right? or work, business, whatever. But at home, we can be impatient and unkind and even cutting with our words and our actions. And that doesn't measure up, does it? I mean, it doesn't like, how, oh, how can that be? <clears throat> and I remember being, a, a, you know, a long time ago being a Christian. And, you know, there were, there were fruits in my life that was inconsistent with patience. You know what I'm talking about? I was angry. I was impatient, and I tried not to be. 
I, I made decisions to be the most patient person in the world. And you all know how that went well for me, right? It doesn't work at all. Because if we can produce this kind of fruit in our own flesh, it would be called fruit of the flesh. And it doesn't glorify God at all, really. It, it stinks pretty much. And so it's like, oh, how can this be? And so I talked to people and they'd say, well, this kind of fruit, you know, can't be in the life of a Christian, so maybe you're not really saved. And so I'd go up and get saved again. Or you talk to somebody, maybe it's a demon. Don't you love that one? Yeah, maybe it's a demon. So I'd go up and I'd get that devil cast out of me. But you know what? The next week, I would stumble over the same thing. And it's like, God, I love you. I know I'm a Christian. Man, I am 100% yours, but I've got, I am a mess. I've, I've got messy stuff. So what do you do with that, right? Well, when I learned what you do with it, I was so excited. We bless the good fruit. Because we know if we're producing good fruit, we are rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. Holy Spirit is within us, and he's manifesting, and he's working, and he's drawing that from us, right? So if it's good fruit, hallelujah, glory to God. But if there's bad fruit, then we know that in that area, we are drinking nurture and life from something else. And usually that something else is something that has remained unhealed and something that has remained unresolved within our heart. Our sinful responses to what has happened, our unforgiveness, our bitterness, our resentments, that flesh that just refuses to die. And so the fruit that, that's unbecoming and inconsistent is most often rooted in that pool. And so if we see bad fruit, we don't ignore it. We don't have to get resaved again. Sometimes there's a demon involved, but, you know, you can't cast out flesh. And usually it's a flesh issue. <laughs> and so what we need to do is say, ah, there's bad fruit in my life, God. Where is it coming from? That's pretty easy, right? We had a pastor, however, that came for ministry with his wife. And he was telling me the fruit of his life, of his ministry. It was amazing. Man, oh man, I tell you what, signs and wonders, literal signs and wonders. Wow, I was just sitting there, wow, wow, wow. However, his wife was sitting on the couch beside him crying. And I said, well, this is really good fruit over here. We're going to bless this. I mean, this is amazing. However, let's look at this bad fruit right here. And his elder board had sent him for ministry, actually. He could not see the necessity of dealing with the bad fruit. He said, no, no, no. God's pleased with me. Look what he's doing in my life. He lost his marriage. He had to step down from the church. I don't even know where he is right now. It's important that we recognize the good fruit, right? Submit to the pruning process as it happens. But it is so important that we look at the bad fruit in our life honestly. Holy Spirit does a wonderful work in and through us, but our work, our work, is to cooperate with what the Holy Spirit's doing and what the Holy Spirit is showing. Yeah? Our job, our responsibility, as we grow up into him, is to recognize that bad fruit and to have the courage to say, okay, Holy Spirit, let's deal with it. 
I love this scripture in the New Living Translation in Hebrews 12.1. It says this, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And that's the kind of sin I'm talking about here, the bad fruit, the patterns, the cycles, the consistent things that keep happening, even though you're trying not to. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. That word endurance, oh, it's a fabulous word. In the Greek, it means to stay under. Jesus endured the cross. He stayed under the cross. He could have wiped everybody out, right? He could have just gotten down from that cross and said, Dad, I'm done with this. I'm done with these people. But he stayed there. He chose to stay there to endure the pain for the joy that was set before him. And we know the joy. We're his joy, right? We're his crown. He says, oh, I did that for you because I loved you, and I'm happy to do it. I will stay here. And so endurance means to bear up under, to patiently wait in hope. Don't you love that? And that word endurance derives from the words faith and hope. So it's a combination. So we run this race with endurance. And that word race is also a fascinating word in the Greek. It's a gone, and that's where we get our word agony. So we're to run our agony as though to win. We're to run our agony with endurance. But do you know what happens in my life when things get hard and when I start to feel pain and when I get all depressed and everything, usually I will run to something or someone. Well, I'll run to a substance. I'll eat anything that I can get my hands on. How many of you have eaten a bowl of ice cream and you weren't even hungry, right? <laughs> How many of you have gone to the refrigerator and you open it up and you want something desperately, but you just ate five minutes ago, right? So many of us run to food or to alcohol or to drugs or to relationships rather than facing the pain. And that's part of character is having the courage to face the pain, to stay in the race and not give up. Character is also being in the race, falling over and getting up, right? Getting back up again, dusting ourselves off and say, man, I blew that. Literally. I've eaten a liter, uh, liter, right, of, um, you know, I'm American, right? You can tell. So this whole liter thing, it's new to me. Uh, but it's like I can eat a whole liter of ice cream and not bat an eye, although the next day I'm really sick. But it, <laughs> I've been known to do that, even though I know how sick it makes me. It doesn't even make sense, some of the things we do, Right? I mean, have you looked at the back of a sac cigarette package, those pictures? They are so gross. But we smoke anyway. Or we know the dangers of, of drinking too much. We do it anyway. What is that about, right? And so courage is looking at that. Lord, this is tripping me up. Lord, this is a weight. I love the passion and how the passion translated. It says this, we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin that we so easily fall into. So we need to deal with those wounds that have pierced us. And in the notes of the passion, it says that it's like an arrow tip on an arrow. And if any of you have seen a hunting arrow, they are incredibly sharp, really dangerous. I've cut myself on one before. 
but they are designed to pierce through hide of an animal and to break bone. And it's, sometimes it's not even the initial impact that will kill the animal. What happens is that arrow tip goes in and it, as the animal runs, it works its way in and the animal bleeds, loses blood, gets tired, oftentimes lays down to rest and doesn't get up again. Or that arrow works its way down to an essential organ. What a picture. When we don't deal with our wounds, oftentimes it's not the initial impact. It's when we hold it, when we get, won't deal with it, when we try to run our race and it keeps working in and working in and, and we're seeing this trail of blood or we're getting weak and we see this stuff but we ignore it to our peril. You guys, I do this. This is what I do day after day is minister to people. And it's like, it's our human condition. We will ignore the pain. We will ignore the fruit, what we're doing to other people. We encourage people to seek this kind of healing, not so much that your life will go better and it'll be easier for you, but because hurt people hurt people. Wounded people wound people. And so we pursue our healing because we wound others and because in our woundedness we reflect that woundedness to the world. None of us are perfect, but it behooves us. It is our responsibility to say, Lord, in as much as it depends on me, I will, by Holy Spirit's grace, look at the fruit in my life. There was a time in Elijah House, and you all know that Christian organizations are perfect, right? I'm glad you know that. Just like you know, if you go out there and eat that food, there's no calories there. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> Same kind of denial. But anyway, I was working at Elijah House in the United States. I was on staff there. And I had a supervisor that um, was a bit challenging. And I tell you what, I got to a point where I said, that's it. I'm out of here. God, I do not need this anymore. And Holy Spirit immediately spoke to me, and he said, yes, you do. I needed that refining time. I needed to stay in there and work that out and not flee. And had I not stopped and heard the Holy Spirit's voice and said, okay, you know what? This isn't all about her. It's about me. God, do a work in me. I would not be here speaking in front of you now. I would not have married my sweetheart. The choices that we make as we react, as we respond in sinful ways, can affect the trajectory of our life, right? Our destiny, our future. And so some of you might be struggling with something and you think, oh, I don't need this. Holy Spirit will whisper back, yes, you do. Stay in. Work this out. Don't flee. Don't run to that pornography. Don't run to that anger. Don't run to those practice ways. Stand. Ask me for courage. Ask me for strength. Don't keep running with the wounds, those words that have been spoken over you, those things that have been done, maybe even from the beginning of your life. Don't let them continue to work within you. There's an incredible promise in Romans 5, verses 3 through 4. It says this, we can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. We know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character. Oh, 
Yuck. Aw, how many of you like messages like this? I would just rather have the name it, claim it stuff, right? Oh, go out there and claim your car. But I'm saying, no, stay in the pain. Work it through. Don't run. Be brave. Be strong. Manifest the character of God, the character of Christ. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. God's going to save me. I don't know how he's going to do this. I don't know how he's going to get me out of this. But he's going to save me. And so we know that the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit develops in us. The Holy Spirit also gives us gifts. And the gifts make room for us. Uh, Proverbs 18.16 says that our gifts will bring us before kings. And it's a favor of God that opens doors. I have seen that in my own life. It's just been amazing. You know, I've been invited, this is so cool, I've been invited to speak in a Catholic church in the Philippines. The first time in 700 years that a woman had stood behind that pulpit, and a white woman too, you know, it's like, wow, that's favor. How does that work? Right? It's amazing. I don't know. It's God. I'm a grandma from Montana. I don't know how it works, but it works. The grace of God empowers us and gives us the power and the ability to do and the anointing of God, right? That anointing of God, like, like Jesus Christ, he said, the spirit of God is upon me, Craig mentioned that, because he has anointed me to bring good news, to heal the brokenhearted, to release the captives. And so it's good news. That anointing is the power, the ability, the equipping, and the sending, and we can have all these things. We can have the gift. We can have the favor. We can have the grace. We can have the anointing. But I'll tell you what, if we don't have the character to carry that, we're going to fall over. We'll misrepresent him. And if those arrow tips remain in us, if we don't deal with our stuff, it'll take us out. How many of you have read the papers lately? Have you seen people, what's happened when they didn't deal with their stuff back then? And it's on the front page of the paper now. Someone once said, we can destroy in a day with our character what has taken a lifetime to build with our gifts. Character failure is the fastest killer of greatness, of destiny, of legacy, and eternity. I believe, and I'm going to prophesy this over this church because I feel like this is a season you guys are entering into. There is a, a season where it's a time of release of apostolic anointing in the house. Young, old, I don't care. That anointing is going to be released by Holy Spirit. And it's going to be a release, a maturing, an equipping, and then ascending. It's the mature sons and daughters, the moms and dads, the grandmas and grandpas. There's going to be a release of the builders. And when I think of scripture and I think of builders, I automatically think of Nehemiah. And if you remember the story, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to a pagan king. He was isolated from his people far away from Jerusalem. But he got news that his people were in disgrace and the walls were broken down and the gates had been burned and he cried out to God and he was courageous enough. You know the character business? He was courageous enough to know I might die if I approach the king in this kind of sadness, but I'm courageous enough 
to do that. And he asked, and God released favor from a pagan king. He got the time, he got the materials, he got the escort, everything that he needed to do the task. Amazing, right? And so Nehemiah gathered the people and he built a wall, but he also built a people. He rebuilt a wall, he rebuilt a people. But the enemy, of course, doesn't like the building, right? Everywhere they turned, the enemy was there, and so the people, they were tired and whining just a little bit. Every time we turn around, the enemy is there. We want to give up. How many of you have been there? The strength of the burden bearers has worn out. But you know what Nehemiah said? Man of character. He said, do not be afraid of them. Remember your God, who is an awesome God. And fight for your brothers and your sisters and your families and your home. Come on, you guys. We can do this. That's what character is. In the face of discouragement, in the face of spiritual attack, we stay strong and we stay the task. But the enemy hired someone to come and intimidate Nehemiah. And the man said, Nehemiah, somebody's going to kill us. Let's run to the temple to save our life. And Nehemiah said this. I want you to mark this in your heart, right? He said this. Should a man like me run away? Should one such as I run to the temple to save my life? No, I will not go. Is that amazing or what? He said, you know what? If I die here, I die here. But I have a task. I'm a leader. People look to me, and I've told them to be courageous. I'm going to stand. They're not going to see me running to the temple. They're not going to see me in the middle of the night running to pornography. They're not going to see me looking at another woman. They're not going to see me. You know what I'm talking about? And he stood. And that work was done in 52 days. It was a miracle. Even in this day and age, it would be a miracle. Right? 52 days. Because one man stood and had the character to carry the gift and to carry the task. I love what Rayma Trainer says. She said this, you build what you are, not what you want. Our fingerprints cannot be separated from what we produce. That is why we must value the purity that only comes from the process. Wow, isn't that amazing? I want you just to sit in that, maybe even over the work. What kind of foot, what kind of uh, fingerprints am I leaving? And some, some people will say, well, you know what, all that stuff is done at the cross, this process thing, uh, nah. We've got a work to do. But the process is simply the appropriation of the finished work of Jesus Christ. We don't deal with past issues. If something is past, it's healed, it's forgiven, our sinful responses have been dealt with, and that experience becomes part of our testimony. It becomes part of our character. Right? Yeah, we're stronger. Like we talked about Friday, stronger in the broken places. But if there is present-day bad fruit in our life, that's happening right now. It can be rooted in something that happened five years ago, 10 years ago, 50 years ago. That has not been resolved yet. And so it's not a past issue yet because it's still producing present-day fruit. 
We always see and discern and prophesy and minister through the filter of our own wholeness or our own brokenness. And I'm going to wrap this up with a story about King Saul. And again, this is a familiar story. Um, in the Old Testament, Israel had never had a king. And so the people wanted a king, you know, the whole whining thing again. And so God chose a king, and his name was Saul. And 1 Samuel 9-2 describes him this way. He was choice and handsome, without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the people. Now, girls, how many of you would like a choice man? Right? A handsome man. I mean, wow. And I think your daughter's found one, right? You know, we say that, you know, this guy's really choice. Or this, I know I was waiting for your response. Y'all are slow. I don't think you're paying attention to me at all. It's like, ah, oh, you are choice. But, you know, I was reading that scripture, and I thought, oh, God, why would you put that in? Why would that be important for a leader? Choice and handsome? Doesn't matter that much, right? But then I looked up in the Hebrew, the word that's translated handsome, and actually it can describe the character of a person. And listen to this. It means good. It means kind. Ethically right. Morally sound. Excellent. It signifies something that is aligned with God's will and intention. Saul was aligned with God's will and intention. He was good. He was excellent. He was kind. He was ethically right and morally sound. And it can also be about God's kingdom purposes being manifested. It's like, oh, you know what? I've always been mad at Saul. I thought, man, he made so many <clears throat> mistakes. He tried to kill David, you know, it, like his own son was killed. It's like, whoa, I didn't even like him. But when I read this, it's like, ah, oh, he started well. Oh. And to top it off, in 1 Samuel 10, 6, it says that God transformed him into a different person. And he, in 10, verse 10, 9, it says that God changed his heart. He gave him a new heart. Wow. He had everything he needed to do the task that God had called him to, right? However, when it came time to find him, they looked and looked because he needed to be presented to the people. He had been called by God. He had been anointed by Samuel. And nowadays when we anoint people, we do it delicately so we don't get the hair all greasy. But back then what they did is they took a horn and they just poured it over. So when you were anointed, you knew that you were anointed. And he had been anointed by Samuel. But when it came time to step into the task, he didn't have the character to step into it, the courage. He was hiding in the baggage. And the first time I read that in the New International Version, I just laughed out loud because in prayer ministry, we talk about people having baggage, our own baggage, you know, the stuff we need to deal with. He was hiding in it. And at first I thought, well, anybody, this is the first king, who knows how to be king, right? We don't know how to be king. Even Simba, right, didn't know how to be king. He had to be taught. And so we don't know how to be king. But it says in 1 Samuel 10.25, then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. 
So he had an understanding of the ways of royalty, but he hid. Now we could say, okay, well that's a one-time thing, he was young, but we see the fear weaving itself through Saul's life to the very end. And you might say, well, you know what? Fear isn't a sin, it's an emotion. And that's true, fear is an emotion. It's not necessarily sin. But when it's with unbelief or disbelief in God and his provision and his protection, and if we stay in the fear and do not deal with it, do not face it, do not overcome it, then for us it becomes sin. Does that make sense? And so you, we know the story. Talked about it in the songs. He, fa he feared the giant. He was head and shoulders. He was the man for the moment. But he was trembling in his tent. He and Israel were dismayed. And that word means panicked and cracking under stress. He didn't have the character to be able to carry the stress of the moment. I tell you what, there's a whole lot of us who are panicking, depressed, stressed to the max. We need to look at that, you guys. I'm not condemning. I'm just saying, let's look at it. He feared the giant. He feared losing his place. Jealousy, he was jealous of David. Jealousy simply means a fear of displacement. Oh, I'm losing my place. I'm losing my popularity. You know, it's a fear of another's success, being better than you. He feared desertion of his army. Do you remember? They, they, Samuel said, wait for me. I'll be there seven days. Just wait. Well, seven days, everybody was leaving, and he wasn't going to have an army left. And so he made sacrifice. He entered into the role of a prophet. That was really a bad decision. He feared the people, what they thought. God gave them a command. He feared the people, and he listened to them, and he didn't fully obey God. Do you remember? And that's when he was confronted by the prophet. And he said, and Sam, or <clears throat> Saul said, I've done everything you told me to do. And then the prophet said, why then the bleeding of the sheep and the oxen in my ears? You know, our sin will find us out. But his character was just going downhill where he would lie to a prophet. I mean, full face, lie to a prophet. And he feared the exposure and shame. When his sin was found out, he lied. He, covered, he tried to cover it up. He tried to minimize it and justify it. That's a lack of character, right? Oh, for years, I could not say I was wrong. I could not confess sin. In fact, my motive for not sinning was so that I wouldn't have to confess to anybody. I mean, that's bad fruit right there, right? There's bad fruit all over that. <laughs> but he feared the exposure and the shame. Listen to what he said. I know I have sinned, but please at least honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel by coming back with me. Oh, I know I've sinned, but don't let the elder board know. Don't let anybody else know. How often does that happen, right? It's that fear of exposure. It's the fear of consequences. A fear of the future, he feared because he wasn't hearing from God anymore. He forgot what manner of man he was. And so he consulted a witch, the very thing that he had outlawed from his kingdom. Can you see the progression? The growth? 
the erosion of character. He was an amazing man. God chose him. He, he was amazing. But in the end of his life, he had absolutely nothing. We need to deal. We need to recognize those cycles and patterns in our family. I didn't know this until maybe a couple years ago. But you know in 1 Samuel 9.21, Saul, uh, Saul said this when he was called to be king. He said, but I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel, and my family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking like this to me? I'm a nobody. Do you know why his tribe was little? Have you ever done that research? His tribe was little because the rest of Israel tried to wipe them out. They were mad at him. They had this big civil war. They almost wiped out the tribe of Benjamin. And they came to their senses realizing there are only 600 men left, no women, no children. There's only 600 men left, and they're not going to be able to reproduce. So we've come up with a plan. So we'll destroy a couple of cities, and we'll take some women captive, and we'll give them to the men to reproduce. What kind of a scenario does that paint for you? Can you understand a bit about the roots of fear? that were in this man, 600, his, his, uh, it was his grandfather that hid in caves, and we find him hiding in baggage. The rest of Israel did this to them, and suddenly he was called to lead them. What kind of fear would that produce in you? And he went into this insecure place, who am I, instead of saying, Oh, I remember my God who's great and mighty and awesome and he's going to do this. That's what fear does to us. And so we need to look at the fear in our own life, but we also need to look a bit further back and find out perhaps the roots are in grandma and grandpa or great grandma and grandpa. And we need to pray that through. How do you pray it through? By forgiving the people who wounded, who traumatized, who betrayed, Repenting for your family's sinful response. How do you know the family's sinful response? Go to a Christmas party. <laughs> Hang around them. What happens every year? You know, what are the women like? What are the men like? It's not a mystery. Ask Holy Spirit. But those roots can go deep. And that's what we, we teach in Elijah House, is how to go deep. And when you find the roots, what to do with them. It's a process. But you know what? We need to submit to the process. I want to be like Jesus. I know I'm not there yet, but you know what? That's my heart, to get rid of those things that are tripping me up. And so let's just pause for just a moment. Let's let Holy Spirit brood. Sandy isn't the one that convicts. It's Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come. And maybe even as I talked about my own stories, but also the stories of Saul and Nehemiah, that, Father, we can see ourselves in those stories. And maybe, maybe there's a lack of character in certain areas. Maybe there's some fruit in our life, in our family, that 
is inconsistent with the fruit of the Holy Spirit and unbecoming a child of God. Perhaps we're misrepresenting you, not just in Sunday service or through the week, but at night when no one's looking and no one's listening. Holy Spirit, bring up within us those things that you want to deal with. Lord, this isn't necessarily a happy, clappy message, but it's an essential message for where you want to take us as your sons and your daughters. Holy Spirit, have your way. Holy Spirit, we refuse condemnation. We refuse the insecurity and that, that falseness that would say, who am I? Father, we know who we are. We're your kids, and we know who you are. You're our dad. You're our father. And so, Lord, do a thorough work within us and give us the strength of character to say, yes, I will cooperate with that work. And so now what I'm going to do, and this is absolutely by invitation only, you do not have to do this, but if this spoke to your heart and you recognized, you know what, there's some character stuff going on within me and I want to say yes to Holy Spirit. I want to say yes to the stirring of Holy Spirit to bring up in me what needs to be addressed, to give me courage to do it. I'm going to invite you to stand. This is standing before God, not before anybody else, and it's simply a response to the message. Sometimes we hear messages, we go out and have coffee, and we forget even what we've heard. But this is an opportunity to say, I've heard, I've received, and I respond, and I say yes. Please don't stand up. If you don't mean it, that would be a lack of character right there. But if Holy Spirit is prompting you, I pray that you would have the courage even now to stand before him and say, Lord, it's me. I want to be like you. I submit afresh and anew to the process. Work in me what needs to be worked. And so I invite you to stand, and I'll just pray a little prayer over you. And, and will we open up the altar, Trinity? For, yeah, and we'll open up the altar. Perhaps there's something specific that you would like prayer for, to have somebody stand with you, just to encourage you and strengthen you. There'll be opportunity after. But I do pray right now that the Holy Spirit would grace you that the Holy Spirit in this season of a pouring out of anointing, that you would grow in your capacity, that you would grow in your strength, that you would grow in your character to be able to carry that which is being released, that you would not just catch it, but that you would carry it, and that you would carry it well. I bless you in the name of Jesus in this season of process, of, of honesty, it's a humble place. Hey, 
It's hard to stand up in front of other people. It's hard to say, Lord, here I am. But if Saul would have done that at the very beginning, his story may have ended a lot um, differently. His story may have ended differently. May your story end well. May you have that strength, that courage, that conviction, the strength of character to know what manner of man you are, what manner of woman you are, what manner of leader that you are. And so I bless you today with the kiss of the Holy Spirit who loves you. He responds to your yes. He says yes to your yes. And he will do for you what you have just asked. I guarantee it. Stay in the process. Stay in the race. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Don't lose confidence. Don't lose courage. And I want you to remember this, that you are not alone. Right? We're on this journey together. We're running the race together. If you need help, ask. Right? If you need help, ask. And so I'm going to turn it over to pastors so that they can close. But we'll bring the ministry team up and we'll just be here for you if you would like further prayer.